You are listening to the Slow Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Stephanie O'Day. What if I told you that you could truly have the life of your dreams, the life you've always wanted, one filled with abundance, joy, and a sense of purpose? It's absolutely possible, and I see it each and every day with my coaching clients. It all starts with learning how to slow down. You deserve to live the life you've always dreamt about. Let's get started. there, Steph here, and we're on episode number 76 of the Slow Living Podcast, and I am absolutely thrilled to have here with me today. And when I say here with me today, it's virtual, it's through Zoom and recording, but my new friend Emily, and Emily is an author of a few books, but her newest book is Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multilevel Marketing, which is essentially the complete opposite of everything we teach and talk about (laughs) with the Slow Living Podcast of slowing down and visualizing what you want your life to look like and then slowly and steadily and methodically and sustainably make it happen. And Emily, you have done the complete opposite, but now you have slowed down and you are rebuilding your life step by step. So how did you fall into all of this? And also, FYI, your book is amazing. I could not put it down. I am so drawn to memoirs and nonfiction, but this reads like really good, fast-paced fiction, but it was your actual real life. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because I think uh, a lot of people don't understand MLMs, and then once you start explaining them or they start reading, they're like, oh, yeah, I do know what these things are. So I got involved about 10 years ago. And I, like a lot of people, saw this thing kind of floating around social media and uh, I knew a little bit about MLMs. I knew they were kind of like a home party thing. I knew women worked from home and all of those like little buzzwords. And I had a friend who was pretty successful seemingly from her Facebook photos and she invited me out for wine and wanted to talk about, she wanted to catch up and, and talk about her business. And I figured, you know, what was the harm in it? I was really at that time in my life, you know what, I just had my last baby and I was looking for something. I was looking for some extra next thing, some escape, some next step. Um, going back into the workforce wasn't really feasible because we had kids and childcare just didn't make sense. Um, and so I just thought, what, what was the harm in learning more? And so I, really trusted her and I trusted that she joined this thing. She was successful. The product seemed okay. And, and I joined her and I thought maybe this could be something for me. I really held on to that, that hope. And the other thing was it came along with this big network of people. There was all these other women who were doing this too. And I thought, you know, here's connection, here's community, here's potential money and something else outside of like driving to preschool and changing diapers. So I got in and I kind of ran with ignorance. I always say I didn't really know much about it. I just knew that uh, she was telling me to you know send messages to people and I was doing what I was coached. And I became very successful pretty quickly 
Uh, lucky for me, I kind of got in at the right time. There weren't a lot of people in my area who knew about this company or knew about the products. And I was fortunate in the sense that you know, I was a, I had a husband who was gainfully employed and most of my network had uh, spouses who, you know, they had second jobs or they, you know, they were the a double income house and they had disposable income. And so they could spend money on the things I was selling. So that's really how I got in. And then I stayed in for a long time because I really believed that, um, you know, if you do the work, you'll succeed. And I started seeing that other people were not succeeding, that that wasn't really coming true. And I started doing more research and realizing um, that, you know, there was a lot of duplicitous uh, stuff going on that yeah. I, I didn't want to be involved in. So you write in your book that the way the company, the, your particular company, and I like how you sort of made up a name and conglomerated them all into one, um, was essentially a cult. And, uh, and I am fascinated with cults and always sort of have been. And in college, I actually wrote a paper called The Amish as a Cult. And uh, I used it 10 times <laughs> and, and kept getting A's on it. Um, I guess now, according to my kids who are in college, you no longer can plagiarize yourself in college and you can't reuse papers, which kind of stinks, which means I cannot go back to college now because that is exactly how I graduated. Um, but I think a lot of it came from being young and watching the David Koresh kind of story with my parents. And then my mom had talked to me about Jonestown and Guyana, and it was just sort of always indoctrinated into me, like, don't join a cult, don't join a cult. And so when I was a newish mom and I was desperate to kind of find a legitimate way to work from home, um, I did end up on a conference call um, with Melaleuca, which is tea tree oil, and they were claiming it could clean your kitchen and cure cancer. Um, and But I remember in that welcome call, they said that if your friends and family aren't on your side, they're dream squashers, and you don't need to tell them about it. And so for me, that was so many red flags that I'm like, okay, done. And what was fascinating through reading your book is you may, I stopped counting them, but you may have said 30 to, to 40 times, I ignored the red flags. I ignored my intuition. So how, how did you do that? How can you sort of shelve your skepticism over and over again? You know, that's really interesting. And what you said about, you know, shunning people and people are haters. That's one of the ways that that happens. And when you, isolate yourself, you know, you silo yourself in this community, community with air quotes of people who are all saying the same things, doing the same things. It just perpetuates that belief that what you are doing is okay. And when you seemingly have success, you know, even from the outset, it, you'll, your intuition is really squashed. You know, like I said, I, I didn't know a lot about it, but you know, my upline said, Hey, here's these uh, scripts to send through Facebook, you know, send these cold messages to people. And my initial thought was like, ew, I don't want to do that. Like that feels gross to me, but they preempt everything by, Hey, this is going to feel uncomfortable. This is going to feel uncomfortable, but this is how you, you know, lean into your discomfort. And this is how you grow. And so initially any, 
any kind of cringe feeling, any red flag kind of gets squashed. And then you just slowly from there kind of shut down your intuition. I mean, nobody says, Hey, do you want to join a cult today? Do you want to scam people? They say, do you want to join this wonderful community? Do you want to help people? Like that's what you think you're doing. So any little red flags that come up are pretty easy to squash along the way. And then by the time you squash a bunch of red flags, it's like you're already surrounded by all these people who are also doing the same thing. Also, quote unquote, succeeding. And so it just reinforces the belief that what you are doing is okay. And that anybody outside of the organization must just not know enough. They must just not be educated. They must just want to see you fail because those are the messages you're sent. And nothing describes a cult better. You know, if you are like, am I in a cult? Ask yourself, what happens if I leave? And, and, you know, things can be, uh, things can be culty. There's a book called cultish. Yeah, I know. I have read that. Yeah. I know. I really do like all of this stuff (laughs) and I feel bad because I, I'm not trying to poke fun of you because I know this is your real life. So I apologize if I'm coming across as insensitive. It's just fascinating to me. Not at all. And that's why I wrote about it because people ask like, you're so smart. How did you get roped into this? And I'm like, most people who do are like really smart and, you know, mean really well. Um, but you know, cult, lots of things are culty, right? But what happens if you leave? And I always equate it to like orange theory. I do orange theory, right? And I love it. And, you know, people who aren't in it are like, what are splat points? And, you know, what is, what is base pace and stuff? Nobody would know, but it's not necessarily like hurting other people. And if I leave, if I don't go to orange theory, they might be like, Hey, where have you been? We miss you. But they would never say, okay, you are a hater. You, you know, you must be going to another gym. That gym sucks, whatever. So asking yourself what happens when you leave and like with Melaleuca or whatever, an MLM where it takes on such a big part of your personality. It's your community. It's your finances. It's your friends. It's your, sometimes your religious uh, group. Sometimes it's your self-help. It's your everything. And you leave that your leaving really challenges what people need to believe to stay in. And so that's like the, the number one question you ask yourself if you're like, am I in a cult? What would happen if you left? Yeah. So a few things came up while I was reading your book that was um, really interesting to me is you likened it to a sorority a few times. And the way my personality is, is I'm pretty introverted to the idea of joining a sorority just seems exhausting to me. Yet I can understand why other people might really like it. Um, are the, were were there feelings that like? So I I know you have five children, and we're in. Um, you only briefly touched about the isolation of motherhood, which is huge, 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 huge. Um, what were you trying to achieve by by doing this? Was it just, let's go hang out with wine, and then it just sort of, you you find yourself on this ski slope and your snowball's getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Or did you have something like that felt like a void you were trying to fill? Yeah, I think think both. Um, I think when you are home with kids and someone says, do you want to go out? And you're like, oh my gosh, do my hair and actually like put clothes on and, you know, that whole like escape feeling. Um, for sure. I mean, she could have been inviting me out for anything and I probably would have met up with her. Right. And I think it's that packaged 
it's the packaged everything. It's the packaged escape. Like you'll get to, you'll get to do more of this. Like you come here, you'll get to do more of this with your own people and you'll get to possibly go on trips and you'll get to possibly, you know, get a car and possibly it was really the hope. And I was regularly already like escaping my life at that point. I was drinking. I was, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get out of the house when I could. And, and so I think looking for, um, relieving that like pressure that moms have that of course is systemic, right? It's mom too much is on our plates. We don't have paid parental leave. We don't have subsidized childcare. We don't have all those things. And so what do you look for? You look for external stuff. And, and this was that for me. Yes. yes. Which is again, exactly everything that is opposite of what we teach in this little living podcast. So I'm really happy that you're here. And we, and if you're listening to this for the first time, we do have an episode on sober curious, which is episode number 58. And I now know from reading Emily's book, which is a fantastic book and everyone should go get. So it's Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing. And in this book, she really does liken it to a cult. And, and when you feel sort of feelings of inadequacy or feelings of uncomfortableness and you're not able to sit with them, meditate them out, journal them out, sometimes you're looking for ways to numb them out. And so she ended up um, definitely talking a lot about her alcohol use and abuse. And so if you have the time, go back, listen to episode number 58 and ask yourself some good questions of if the feelings inside of you are something you can deal with on your own. If it's something that you need to dive in with a therapist, with your doctor, or with a life coach, do that. Um, because, and Emily will will share, uh, unfortunately, you had a, a bad turn of OD, not ODing, but overdoing it. <laughs> Also, the, the sequin jumpsuit story in Las Vegas, like all of these things, it's so funny because we could be sort of living parallel lives of, of suburban, middle upper middle class, white women. I completely and totally understand my privilege and, and, and thank everybody every day for all the things. But none of what you described sounds like anything I would ever want to do. First of all, I don't like sequins. And, and Las Vegas is loud and noisy and smoky. Um, and it is just so interesting how you can just sort of divvy off on these other paths. And, and so it's just fascinating to me. So I really am so grateful that you took the time to write all this out and I can live vicariously through you. Well, and those things are so exhausting, emotionally exhausting, like I described them in the book. And it's almost like, it's not like there's a choice in the matter necessarily, even though, yes, you know, you pay for the ticket, you pay for all the stuff, you go, you get on the plane, you get yourself there. But the pressure to show up is so high that it's not even a question that you would do all these things. I mean, I can tell you, like, I, you couldn't pay me any amount of money now to put on a sequin jumpsuit or to go like, <laughs> yeah. you know, all nighters in Las Vegas, no way. But I wasn't doing it because I internally wanted to. Okay. So, so, so what is that feeling? What were you trying to fill there? Was it just the feeling of belonging? A feeling so part I think, of something? I think there's, that's part of it. You know, the, the retention events done in MLM are very intentional that you have local things where they have 
people who've succeeded and they talk about how great their lives are and then you get this hope and that's what keeps people roped in. And annually they have these huge conventions that have music acts and lights and fancy outfits. And again, it's just to keep you more roped in, even if your belief starts to fade or even if you're not, your results aren't matching up, yeah. you're not making money. Um, but to, once you get to a certain place where you have had some success, there's a lot of shame in falling backwards. Yeah. So if you, and if you don't go to those things, well, gosh, someone's going to, and I, and I don't succeed. They're going to say that I didn't succeed because I didn't go to this thing. Right. And if I don't go, oh, okay. then my team so, won't so go, the, so right? You had talked about belief. So I think the, the major core belief that is different with, with me when I was starting an online business and, and you was, I never had that belief that you do bring up and, and your husband, Pera, did also of spend money to make money. That was never a core belief of mine, probably because I didn't actually have the money <laughs> to, to invest the, the initial $500 or, or I guess under $500. So the, F, the FTA, FTC, what is it? Don't get flagged. <laughs> Somebody doesn't get flagged. So, um, so, so, I mean, back to my Meloka story, I mean, there was just no way I wasn't going to buy anything anyway. But uh, when I first got it started blogging, we spent a lot of time at going to like blog her conventions, but I only went to the conventions if they flew me in and put me up and paid for everything. Otherwise, I wouldn't go. So, so your stories of of buying the convention tickets and buying things because probably I'm super frugal and it just it wouldn't have crossed my leg. Like, nope. Obviously, they don't want me enough. I'm not doing it. Which then I can see is sort of a, a brain. I don't, I don't want to say bad word, but that's the word I'm thinking of. Um, <laughs> that's the word I want to use in that I'm not going to grow fast enough. But also I was okay with it because my ethics and, and morals and integrity weren't aligned with it. I had been to conventions where there's women throwing up in the elevators and feather boas sprinkled throughout the, the lobby of the hotel. And I, I vividly remember... I was pregnant, so I was not drinking, so it was okay. But like businessy type people looking at these like moms gone wild, and in my idea of and my my thought was, gosh, I, I don't want to ever be a part of anything like that. And then one other thing that was interesting is the founders of Blog Her, their core story, and I know because I've been online long enough. And you know that everyone has this story and every marketer tells you to use your story. Well, the three women who started Blog Her Story was that they maxed out their credit cards in order to host the first Blog Her convention. And it worked. And because it worked, they have this success story. But the problem is, is that was the first one. That was really the top of the pyramid. And anyone below... That advice or, or that story that's sort of sparkly isn't a possibility for a, a mom from Milwaukee to max out her credit cards and, and risk her, her home, her car, her marriage, her family in order to go do these things. Um, and so because of that, that never sat well with me and it, it's just icky and gross. And, and you talk about feeling icky and gross. And, and that's interesting. You say, you know, a couple of things. So 
when you said like, oh, my frugality would keep me from going to these things, that would then be used against you, right? Mm -hmm. Because even if it wasn't directly to you, it'd be like, well, you know, Stephanie, she's not where she should be because she didn't make the time to go to conventions. She didn't make her business a priority. And so even if you didn't directly feel that, it would be in the group used against you, right? And this this idea that, yes, yeah, spend money to make money, I mean, that's another one of those, it's the platitudinous buzzwords that make you think, okay, I'll stay in for another month. You know, that sunk cost fallacy of, I know I've put in so much, but God, I've put in so much at this point. What if next month it works out? It's, it's, it's pulling on that hope. And again, you know, I... I bought the business kit like every anybody else, but I also bought it in a network where not many people were using it. Yeah. And by the time I got people in, I had already tapped the market. Everything was already saturated. And so it's not the same. It's not a level playing field if you don't have a network with money, if you don't have a network that doesn't already use products very similar. Um, so like you said, the people at the top, that worked for them, but are those results typical? Absolutely not. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because um, depending on your mindset and, and how your brain works, and we actually talk about this an awful lot of um, your hormones fluctuate and your productivity that you have on Wednesday of this week is not going to be the same as the Wednesday on that week and you can't beat yourself up on it. But yet we do. And the idea that if you just push harder, hustle harder, do a little bit more, put that last post on social media, that will be the one that causes the tipping point. And then all of a sudden you'll have the success that you've been chasing. But the way these stru- these companies are structured is really, unless you really are quite high up on the level or already have a huge social base, it's just not going to work. Um, so really is your best advice to anyone like, just stay far, 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 far away and, and don't have that inkling of, oh, well, I live in a small town and nobody has heard of blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to be the first one and it'll be okay because I'm the first one. Well, you'll be the first one and you might do okay because lots of other people are failing. That's the point I finally uh, got to. So it only works for you if you're kind of squashing others and, and, and lying coercing like well, like what is the right word it's definitely coercion but nobody believes that it's it's lying necessarily because i mean i really believed anybody right. could succeed right and you grew up a, a christian of knowing right and wrong you were not in your brain you were not knowingly lying to people is that right no and then yeah. once i saw again once i saw the results like gosh you know, Kelly is really doing all the things that I'm coaching her to do. And gosh, it's not working out. Why? Once I was, I had a a critical eye and I was willing to look past the things that the company was telling me, well, she must not be doing the work. It's this meritocracy, right? That no, it succeeds if you do it. Well, but it's not like it isn't working. And also when you look at the amount people are spending and again, the pay to play system you know, people might be getting a paycheck, but gosh, how much are they spending? Yeah. So, so that's another interesting thing in that how you write that you bought this kit, but you didn't tell your husband until after the fact. So like, again, that wouldn't fly in the O'Day household because our first few weeks of marriage, we had an agreement that we just don't buy things without talking to each other. And, um, 
I think we had decided it was like $100. But we've now been married 23 years. We actually don't buy anything <laughs> outside of groceries or whatever the kids need without talking to each other. We just don't. Like, it just doesn't happen. I feel really bad. Adam's like, so I wanted new golf shoes. Uh, so they're in the cart, but they're $65. What do you think? And my, I, I mean, my answer is, Buy the, buy the golf shoes. Yes. Obviously, like, buy them. But then also in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, good, because I have some Uggs that are there that I really want to. So so I think that's how we balance it out. But never would I buy that with, without doing that. So so is that the wine talking then? Like, oh, like you sort very, of – It's very encouraged. I mean, I think in our relationship, it was more we, – we kind of have like a, a, a dollar limit, right? Like if you want to buy what you need, but like if you want to spend more than some, you know, such and such, like we'll talk about it. We just kind of okay. have that general rule. But to me, it was like I, I, I think that was my initial oh, – he's going to think this is dumb, right? He's going to think this is weird, which again, I'm squashing my own intuition and his. And he was like – he, he was like, okay, this, I don't know if this is really a thing, but go ahead and try it. He was like, yeah. go ahead. Okay. So then I, I want to, I want to do a pause. I want to do a caveat because what I said about the golf shoes and the Uggs is true in our day-to-day personal lives. But once I started making money in my business, I really didn't run everything by Adam. And I absolutely fell for, um, different marketing scams, not MLM-ish, but learn how to do Facebook ads the best way and give me... So so I, I want to say I am not a golden child in any way. I have absolutely made mistakes. So I apologize if I came off as high and mighty because... <laughs> okay. Not at all. Because I think, okay. again, it's one of those things where you think, oh, I wouldn't do that. But then you're like, wait a minute, maybe I would. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, so if again, if anybody's listening... To this for the first time, I did, and I, I don't remember what number it was, 72, 71, I don't know, I did one on sniffing out scams. So listen to that, and I confess to all of the things I've fallen for in my life. So, And as far as the spouse thing, that is something that, again, you will be told not to tell your spouse about it. This is something that's very common that you'll see in MLM circles. Like, if your husband doesn't support you, he doesn't want you to be successful. Yikes. And it's like, yikes. Yeah. yeah. So that that's it, – it's something that you definitely – if it comes up as an objection, like, ooh, I don't think my husband is going to like this, we'll prove him wrong. I know. I know. So it's really interesting because everything you're saying, I have this kind of cognitive dissonance of – wanting to believe in myself that I wouldn't fall for it. But I also know I like infomercials. I want my neck a little tighter. Like I, I do think if, if you're feeling kind of down and low and vulnerable, um, I, I absolutely can see how that can happen. And, um, and so now that it's all said and done and you've got this book, do you look at, former Emily as a victim? Yeah, I think everybody who gets into an MLM is a victim. I, I think okay. everybody who joins, I don't. I really don't believe anyone joins and they're like, sweet, I'm going to scam a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Everyone joins for a good reason. And I, once I started to realize that other people weren't succeeding, you know, I still stayed in a lot longer than I could, than I, than I should have. Well, it looks like you were making a lot of money. So in, in the book, you yeah, and that's, I mean, you had talked about the golden handcuffs and that type of thing. And that is a real thing to, um, 
to walk away from, from actual real money. And the only reason you were making that money is because you were relatively high on top and you then asked other people to join your team. And then what you're talking about right now is they were not making money. And then yeah, that or made they you were, feel bad. They were either making very little and working very hard or losing money. People, you know, they weren't having the success that they were supposed to have, like I had, if they were doing the things they were supposed to do. And just the, the feeling that, you know, this, this isn't, this is a dream that I have been selling that actually doesn't exist. Okay. So I'm glad that you brought up the word dream because you had talked about that, um, people want to chase the ideal of the American dream. And I actually talk about it because my version of the American dream, I feel like I'm living. I, I love my life. I love the dog. I love my kids. I like the house. Like I, I like the Uggs. I, I like all of these things. And I feel like I am living my version of the American dream. But I also know that what I'm doing is sustainable and my version may look completely different to somebody else's version, but what these companies are sort of preaching is if you do it exactly this way, step by step, check mark by check mark, you too will have it. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, what's interesting is that there's plenty of data out there. I mean, there's all this, the facts that I put in my book, all the statistics. It's, it's out there. All of this is readily available. Every company puts out its own financial disclosure that they're abysmal, like nobody makes money. But there are so many talking points that the company gives you. And again, they sell this hope that you can be that one person. And what you see are the success stories of the very few. There's very few. But those are the things that are shared. Those are the people talking on stage. Those are the people talking at retention events. And the millions down at the bottom all assume that they can possibly get there if they just send one more cold message or or they just stay in one more month. And you get these little breadcrumbs along the way, right? Like you'll get these little love bombs from your upline, these little gifts. You'll get these shout outs from the company that keep you engaged enough to keep spending money. And that's all the company needs you to do. Because regardless, the company is making money from you. Yeah. So it's interesting when you're talking about the gifts. I um, I once hired a business coach and, and I actually talked about this in that episode of Sniffing Out Scams. And uh, it was thousands and thousands of dollars. And then I got this gorgeous package in the mail. And my first thought is, well, I would have rather spent $300 less <laughs> <laughs> then get this thing in the mail. Um, so there's that. And then uh, you talked about toxic positivity, and that gets thrown around an awful lot. What's your definition of toxic positivity? So I think positivity is great. I consider myself a realist positive, po- positive optimist, right? Like I, But um, when there's nothing behind it and you're not acknowledging any criticism at all, so when, you know, for example, if I were to say, um, you know, gosh, this, uh, everyone, you guys are all doing great. Everyone's doing so well. Keep, uh, keep sending those cold messages. Keep doing all the things. And if someone were to say, oh, I sent this message and someone said something crappy to me, you know, it'd be like, we, you delete that comment. It's not even, oh, yeah. it's not acknowledging, um, 
it's not acknowledging the inherent negativity of, of anything because there's going to be criticism. There should be feedback. There should be, uh, there's, there's negatives about every positive, right? Otherwise, otherwise there wouldn't be positive. You need both. So not accepting feedback, not allowing critical thinking. And this, this goes very deep into like the emotional, physical, financial, like the control aspect of information. Like we're going to keep things positive. Don't go read that negative article. Don't watch that negative YouTube video and don't talk about it. Cause if you do, you're bringing other people down. So it's the shame of like, don't question anything. And that's different that, you know, toxic positivity is very much, again, squashing that intuition and not allowing critical thinking. That's the biggest difference. Okay. So I like all of that. And, and I absolutely agree with that because I'm, I'm definitely, um, an optimist in many ways. And I like, uh, to use the, the talking point and teaching point of feeling all of the feels, but then acting on the facts. And what's interesting is the facts are for many, many, many people, they're losing money. And you had talked about that. It's not even encouraged to do a balance sheet, which is so startling that that's a company <laughs> and, and, and you're trying to run a business. And the first thing you need to know when you're running a business is how much is coming in and how much is going out. Right. Well, first thing, cause it's not a business. You're an independent contractor for a huge corporation. So it's, it's really funny how women in MLMs, men too, it's mostly women talk about how corp, corporate America, like ditch corporate America, ditch your nine to five. And the company is a corporation. So it's just funny. But it, if you, the company would never encourage you to keep track of your expenses because then you wouldn't want to spend as much money. So why would they encourage that? It's more encouraged to, again, that sunk cost fallacy. And you are encouraged to do more of the things that you don't want to do. Spend more money because Again, like say you send out a hundred cold messages and you get one response back. Well, that's going to be used to say, see, if you just keep sending the messages, you'll get one. You get these little breadcrumbs. Or if you spend a thousand dollars and look, you got a sale. Well, yeah, you got 20 bucks back, but that's going to keep you going. Like, oh, you're right. If I, it did work, even if the numbers don't match up, you get enough of that reinforcement to just keep you going for another month. So if anyone is listening this right now and they are in a, uh, a business model that, that, or, or a corporate model that, that follows this sort of business plan, I want you to run some numbers. I want you to do some mathing right now and, um, and really then act on the facts. So feel all the feels. You can feel bummed. You can feel disappointed. You can feel shame. You can feel inadequate. But then really sit with the facts and, and, and decide from that point of, because um, data doesn't lie. I mean, it's tricky um, uh, feeling the data. So, I mean, even when it comes to stepping on the scale, sometimes we want to ignore the number, but you really have to pay attention and, um, and then act on, on what you see in front of you. It's, it's um, interesting. You had talked about the car at one point and then paying for different things. And I grew up with, um, 
with Ashley and Ashley would have sleepovers. And I very much so remember Ashley's mom giving us little goodie bags of a whole bunch of pink makeup. And Ashley's mom did have the pink car, but I'm now learning that she didn't really own this pink car. So how does that all work? Oh yeah, that's I think one that's one of the biggest like ruse of MLM is is the, the free car and it's always in caps free car. Um, so basically, there's a car program with most companies and it's for some white luxury like a Lexus or a Mercedes or a Cadillac, right? So they're expensive vehicles, and if you get to a certain sales volume, you know your your organization, which is the people in your pyramid, <laughs> sell a certain number of. Uh, products or a certain dollar amount, then the company will put a certain amount on your paycheck for a car payment. So you go to the dealership, you negotiate your own thing, you put down the down payment, you pay the title, the registration, the, all the things, or you figure out the lease details. It's all on you. Uh, if you don't have good credit, you're not getting a car. Like that's, that's all there is to it. So you negotiate the details and then you send the information to the company. They say, okay, you bought a car. Now we'll give you, you know, 250 a month, 500 a month, 750 a month, whatever it is. It's never that much. And it's rarely enough to actually cover the payment of a car that expensive. So, but the idea is that people see this and they're like, holy crap, you got a car. Well, what, what can I, what do I need to do to do that? And the company's not on the hook for it. If your sales go down the next month, if you don't hold that title, that sales volume, they don't give you the $500 that month for the car. And so it's yours. You're, you're on the hook for it. This isn't a free car. It's, it's, it's just your car that you're getting a little bit of extra money for. It's, it's a total joke. Wow. Yeah. So I absolutely did not know that until I read your book and hearing you explain it. Um, I guess it's just sad because then people feel as if they've earned this, that it, that they should capitalize on it and then show other people. And it's just kind of the smoke and mirrors effect, which is, um, it's just kind of sad. So do you think the American dream is dead? I don't, I think the American dream exists for very few people. Wow. Okay. So you're raising five children. So what is your advice to them? Cause that sounds so defeatist. <laughs> the reason, and again, I, you know, again, like you pointed out, like I'm come from a place of massive privilege, right? I'm an upper middle class. I've got a husband who's gainfully employed. Um, and I was able to leave, not only was I able to join and do well in the MLM because I had a network of people with money and a husband with a job, I was also able to leave for that same reason. And so I don't ever discount that. It's like, well, if you're involved and you're doing something crappy, just leave. Like that's not going to be feasible for a lot of people either. And so does the American dream exist? Like, I feel like I'm living the dream too, but I know that it's not available for everybody. There's too many systemic issues at, that that we're living in the sea of white supremacy, which I talk about in the book, that we don't all have the same 24 hours in a day. We don't all start at square one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I hate to say it doesn't exist, but from I, I don't even have the bandwidth to understand all of the forces at play because I haven't lived them, right? That's not my lived experience. 
Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, so I guess I guess my thought is if you are needing money right now, get a get a job. Get get an actual job that that provides benefits and, and security and many jobs, especially if you're going to them, have other people there that you probably have things in common with, and they're not going to try and get you to buy other things, um, but you'll actually get paid. <laughs> and um, and uh, if they're having a, a wine event that the company is putting on, you probably won't have to buy the wine. Right. Yeah. And it, it ultimately, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But if you are being asked to spend money to make money, like that's the number one red flag. And, you know, you, when you join an MLM, the thing to remember is you are an unpaid, unpaid contractor. You yeah. pay money and then you, you only make money if you sell something. And I know that sounds obvious, but yeah. with an actual job, you get paid per hour. Right. right. No, I, so, I mean, I have a day job right now and I absolutely love it. And, uh, if I don't work all that hard, I still get paid. And, and other days I don't, I work really hard. Um, but it all washes out, which is again of, of that you're, you're not a spreadsheet. Real humans have ups and downs and all arounds. And if you are not feeling uber motivated, it, it doesn't mean you're failing and it doesn't mean you have to work harder or hustle harder. So, it's, um, I, I know I'm cognizant of your time, but, uh, you had talked about Rachel Hollis. And you talked about Jen Sincero. So I actually have read both of those books. I like Jen Sincero's book. Um, I think you are a badass at making money up more than the first one. And really, the she's playing off of um, Esther and Jerry Hicks, who channel Abraham. And so the, the best book on that, I have it in a different room, but I think it's Ask and It Is Given. So it's the laws of the universe and manifestation and that kind of thing. And so take that for what it is. That's really what Jen Sincero has sort of watered down. And then Rachel Hollis has essentially, from what I can see, repackaged Tony Robbins in this sort of like girl boss way. And I found her book really hard to read. I didn't enjoy it at all because I don't like being told what to do. Well, and also being told what to do and then at the end, finding out like she didn't actually do what she was told to do. Like she's yeah. not doing all the things no. that she's telling you to do. She had a nanny and she had help and she had, had a very, you know, rich husband yeah. who, you know, like. Right. And they, and that, I mean, I never followed any of it because I was not her target market, but I, I do know that they were giving, they were giving marital advice while their marriage was not so good. So, so really research people. <laughs> So I guess I would I would type in someone's name and then the word scam or or someone's name and and just uh, I don't know read and do some research before bl blindly following and that's another thing don't blindly follow anybody <laughs> Fil filter filter and and then go quiet and go within and make your own best next step and um, I really like the idea of when you ask yourself good open-ended questions and then just wait um, your brain so your subconscious will come up with the answer or you can liken it to the voice of God or, or nudges from the universe whatever fits well for your psyche 
And I think it's fine to, to um, follow people or like see people as aspirational, but also asking yourself, okay, but now she's asking me to spend a thousand dollars on this course. Mm, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just think about why you find these people aspirational. Like, what do yeah. I see about her that's so aspirational? Oh, but she has a lot of money and she can do all of these things. You know, I'm not equipped with the same skills or tools or background or whatever. And the comparison trap, I think, is what gets a lot of people to open their wallets and drain their bank accounts because they think that will be the key to success. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the it's the keeping up with the Joneses. And then in a school setting, we ask you to keep your eyes on your own paper. And in yoga, we tell you to keep your eyes on your own mat. Like you're only doing you. Just just do you and do you well, which I guess to me is my version of the American dream because I'm going to circle back around because <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel debilitated in any way. I do think having hope is important and optimism is important, but really tuning out the noise and the nonsense and the hustle culture is the right thing to do. Um, I know you have a huge social media following and I know you actually talked about this in the book that you feel uncomfortable because one of the ways you were able to sell a book proposal is because of your huge social media following. Um, and you feel now as if it came about in kind of an unethical way or, or a way that doesn't necessarily match your integrity right now. And, and I am, I'm proud of you for saying that out loud, because as soon as I, I saw your Instagram followers, um, I felt inadequate, even though I've done a lot of really cool things and am really proud of myself because I'm still trying to write and do things. I'm constantly being told by agents and um, publishers that it's not enough. And so uh, I don't know if I really have a point there, except for that I, I do understand those those feelings and that kind of pit of your stomach of I'm doing a lot and yet it still doesn't feel good enough. And, and it's just not a good feeling to have. And so I hope anyone anywhere who's listening knows that you are enough and, and you are doing an amazing job. And um, there's plenty of people out there who are there to lift you up and help you and um, and you don't need to buy their face cream or their essential oil. And ultimately, are you happier? Like if I ask myself, when I was making all of that money, was I happier? Was my life better? No. You know, when I've been the thinnest I've ever been, was my life better? No. When I, so asking yourself like those things you would aspire for, does that really make you happier? And, uh, you know, has having more Instagram followers made me happier? No. Like maybe it makes some things easier, but really looking at like deep, like what like really fills me up, like in my heart, my soul and, you know, all of those things that sound cheesy, but. It- no, it's, it's, it's true. And I mean, you're raising five beautiful babies who are going to go on and, and have their own lives and, and you want them to look back on you with kind eyes and warmness in their heart. And, and that is truly what's important. Not my mom made it to this next level, even though she's shushed me constantly and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, Emily, I think you are wonderful. And I'm so happy 
that you wrote this, and I think it's going to be insanely valuable to many, many, many people. So her full name is Emily Lynn Paulson, and the book is Hey Hun, and Hun is H-U-N, and that is because many times in social media marketing, people slide into your DMs or message you and are like, hey, hun, you want to meet for wine? You want to meet for coffee and hear about this great, huge, new, amazing business plan that you would be awesome for? So um, I think you can still meet for coffee and I think you can still meet for wine, but then just keep your guard up. And and then the, the subtitle is Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multilevel Marketing. Emily, I think you are a joy and I would love to stay in touch. I think um, this is such valuable messaging. And I do think so many women and so many moms are hunting and and searching for camaraderie and that feeling of belonging that we used to have um, in churches, we used to have in social circles. And I think right now, especially with everything being so digital, you'd think we'd be more connected, but sometimes we feel really isolated. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate being here. All right. You take care. Do you have a slow living story to share? Leave me a voicemail at stephanieoday.com forward slash podcast with any questions, comments, feedback, or testimonials, and I will be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. Also, if you found value in this episode, please share it with your family and friends and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. The more you share, comment, and leave positive reviews, the more people we can reach and share the slow living lifestyle and messaging. Thank you, Slow Down Society, and have an absolutely wonderful day.